following is a recording of a sermon given at All Saints Lutheran Church in Ottawa, Canada. For additional messages and more information, visit allsaintslutheran.ca. This week we're starting a new series that I'm calling In the Wilderness. And it was, it's a bit of a segue from last week. We saw Elijah, who is the, the climax of what I was calling our calibration series, when after his great dramatic victory on Mount Carmel, everything falls apart for him, and he goes and seeks God in the wilderness. The, the wilderness is, this, is a motif in Scripture. We, we run into it over and over again. As I was preparing this week to be somewhat of an introduction to this wilderness series, and, and, and one of the re- other reasons for it is it's in keeping with this time of Lent, which commemorates the Lord's time in the wilderness uh, when he was tempted by the evil one. And we're going to be looking at that in detail over the next three weeks. Uh, but this morning, I wanted to do an introduction to this wilderness theme. And I thought, oh, that's kind of simple. It's pretty obvious, some of these wilderness episodes in the Bible. And the more I looked at it, I realized how big the, the wilderness theme actually is. It is all over the scriptures. In fact, when you, when you take a closer look, you start to see that there's this constant... Um, preparation in the wilderness, navigating the wilderness, and being prepared for coming out of the wilderness. And that can, we can even look at the very beginning of creation that way. So when we read Genesis 1, we see an, um, a world that is in chaos, without order, without form. And then God begins to bring order out of the chaos. And so the chaos is a type of wilderness, And then God creates uh, the heavens and the earth and he places our first parents, Adam and Eve, to continue to bring order to the earth by subduing it. And they were to do so under the supervision of God. By listening to him and doing his will, they were to fulfill his word in the creation. Then they are tempted like the evil one, like the Lord Jesus would many, many years also be tempted by him. By listening to the evil one, as Adam and Eve did, the result was, in a sense, back to chaos, and they're sent out by God out of the garden, and in a sense, into the wilderness, um, where things are more dangerous, and, and um, we're more vulnerable in that, in that kind of situation. And so we see that kind of thing that the in the wilderness, having to trust God and then being prepared in the wilderness for that which God wants us to do in bringing his order, bringing his rule to the world. Now, that's kind of in a, in a big sort of way. And then there are times um, when we find ourselves in the wilderness again. And there seems to be two reasons why God leads his people into the wilderness we're going to be focusing on one particular one, and that is Israel's wandering in the wilderness before entering the promised land. And in, 
in, their, in that case, it was mainly a training ground, but we're going to see how the wilderness quickly became a, a place of discipline, even punishment, but hopefully to learn the lessons that were, may not have been learned the first time around. It happens to Israel again many years later when, when uh, God punishes the people of Israel and sends them into exile, which again is a form of being in the wilderness. We have been going through a certain kind of wilderness time. I've referred to that in, in, in past weeks already. A couple of years ago when the, the COVID pandemic emerged, we were thrown into a form of chaos we were thrusted into a time in our lives that was new to us, where the things, the ways we were used to cope were not working in the new situation that we found ourselves in. But then there's a tension. It's a tension that was experienced by the people of Israel in the wilderness, and it's a tension that we face every time we find ourselves in the wilderness. So we've been, we've been facing this over the past two years, But many of us have gone through various wilderness experiences ourselves where the things that we're used to relying on don't work. And we find ourselves in a situation where hopefully we're forced to focus on God in a a deeper, more intimate way. Sadly, it doesn't always work that way. And I've been very concerned over the past couple of years and the more I've been seeing what's been going on that we've been looking to other things, not the Lord, for our help for our, and for our security. And when God's people rely on that which is not God, it always gets us into trouble. Now, sometimes people think that if we could just endure hard times, we believe in the Lord, we go through a difficult time, that we're going to come out of that stronger. You could Maybe you've heard sermons like that. But I realized somewhere along the way that the growing in the Lord in hard times is not necessarily an automatic, in fact, it's not, skip the necessarily, it's not an automatic thing. You know, James says in in verses two to four of verse, uh, sorry, chapter one, verses two to four, James writes, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, all of us have been through trials of various kinds. But how many of us, myself included, have gone through trials of various times joyfully? And if we haven't gone through our trials joyfully, do we really think that that's going to produce the steadfastness and the strength that uh, the stick that God is seeking to bring about in our lives, just getting through stuff, we say our prayers in the morning and grumble the rest of the day, do we really think that that's going to have the positive effect that God wants to have? And I don't think so. It didn't happen for the people of Israel, and it doesn't happen for us. And so we're going to look through a significant Passage. It's Numbers 13, verses 25 through 14, verse 12. Then we're going to skip a little bit and go down to 14, 39 to 45. And what this is, this is the story of Israel just, uh, just about to enter the promised land. 
As you know, uh, the people of Israel were for many, many years slaves in Egypt in a horrible situation until God powerfully and dramatically delivered them from that bondage. Many would think, well, that's enough. If you you were there and you were rescued from this this land that had been oppressing you and and, and saw these 10 plagues that had happened and God protected you and it culminates in the Passover, which we're going to be celebrating soon, and and we celebrate it every time we do communion. And to think of actually being there, actually being in Egypt, um, it's, 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 it's like it was the worst of times, it was the best of times. Well, for some people, it was the best of times. To think that all the firstborn in Egypt of, of man and animal were destroyed in that night, but your family was kept safe after all the other plagues that had happened. You'd think that would be enough to set you on a faith course for the rest of your life. It doesn't seem to work that way. Um, but there's, there were, Israel was given more. Then God begins to lead them with Moses, and they're led by a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. Uh, they face the Red Sea, uh, and they, they see the Red Sea split, and they walk across on dry land, and then God sends the, the sea to drown the Egyptian army. You'd think that would be enough for you to be the greatest person of faith of all time. Uh, soon after that, they go three days without water. The time in the wilderness was very, very difficult. This is why I don't point my fingers at my ancient ancestors in this story because I don't think I would have fared very well. I don't know what it's like to go three days without water. And so they finally get to a source of water and it's poison. And they've had enough. And they'll be having enough many times in their journeys. And then God directs Moses to throw this tree into the water and it, and it becomes safe to drink. Um, but then they're without food and they're grumbling for food and God provides them this miraculous bread-like substance called manna and meat through, these, through quail. Um, and uh, <clears throat> it, one of the examples of how they were dealing with, with it prior to it ha- prior to the provision of the manna and the quail, uh, Exodus 16, verse 3, it says, Israel grumbled, with it we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now, if we ask the question, are these people believers or non-believers? We might say, oh, they're non-believers. But note that they said, would we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt? These people believed in God, but they were not believing in in what he was doing at this time. They had not accepted that Moses was the appointed leader and that he was leading them well. And then later on, again, they're without water and, and um, they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink in chapter 7 of, of Exodus. And God directs Moses to, to strike this rock and water comes forth. Then they face uh, a, a nation called Amalek that, to do war. And they hadn't faced war. They were slaves in Egypt. They had their days marked out for them. They, these were people that never really had to make much decisions. And yet now they had to fight this, this army and God gives victory, miraculous victory at the time. And then God brings them to Mount Sinai and gives them the gift of his word that has blessed the world ever since. 
and then they they heard God, uh, the voice of God speak, and it terrified them. And there's the incident of the golden calf. It's not good. God should have obliterated them, but he forgave them instead, and, and, and on it goes. So they had all this experience, about two years in the wilderness, rescued from Egypt, God's provision, God's protection, God's guidance, God's strength, God's correction, God showing up like no one has ever experienced before. And now it's time to enter the promised land. And many of you know the stories. Uh, Moses sent in 12 scouts or spies to check out the land and bring in a report. And this is where we pick up the story. So this is Numbers 13, verse 25. <clears throat> At the end of 40 days, the they, the spies, returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron, to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told, and they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there, and the Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able, these are the other spies, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy, spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we, and, and so we seemed to them. And so... The spies come back with these two reports. Well, in a sense, they come back with, okay, they come back with two reports. One considered the Lord, and the other one did not. They all agreed that it was a good land, just as God said. They also, there was no, uh, um, there was no discussion over whether or not those peoples were there and whether or not those cities were fortified or not. All that was correct. The only difference between what Joshua and Caleb were saying and the other 10 were saying is that Joshua and Caleb, they were the only ones who considered the God factor. The others did not. And so then the people respond, chapter 14, verse 1. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we would have died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Notice again, they're believers, in a sense. They invoke God's name. God should have done this with us, not this. 
Why is the Lord bringing us into the land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. People prefer what they know over what they don't know. But more than that, this is the story of Scripture. This is not simply the story of the people of Israel doing a bad job in the wilderness. Over and over again, we we revisit the story of Adam and Eve. Did God really say thus and so? Wouldn't you better off if you did it this way? Look at that tree. There's nothing wrong with that tree. It's a good tree with good fruit. Oh, but didn't God say, oh, come on. Oh, come on. Soon everyone will be doing it. We prefer what we know. We prefer what we see. That's why it's really important to break down what what did Jesus do different when he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness? I was going to save this for next week, but I want to say this now because it's so important. What Jesus did for us in resisting the temptation of the evil one was not simply to do something on our behalf and we just uh, derive the benefits. There's so much preaching that says that sort of thing. In one sense, it's true. But the benefits that he gives to us because of how he withstood the temptations of the evil one, even to the point of death, is so that we could follow him, so that we would not succumb to the way of thinking that the people of Israel succumbed to on that day. It's so that we can enter the promised land. Jesus didn't simply buy us a ticket and then we just hold the ticket and then we get a ride to the good place. That is not what the Bible teaches. And I've been saying this over and over again in different ways for the past few months. We have been called into the great cosmic battle the battle that failed on this day in the wilderness, the battle that we have an opportunity to fight today, and in the name of Jesus, we can overcome. Evil forces seek to control our lives. We knew as God's people We were already aware of great government encroachment into our lives. We knew that. We've known it for decades. And today, because of government policy, boys are allowed to be girls and girls are allowed to be boys. And if you try to say something about it, you're going to get into trouble. An organization called the Canadian um, 
Canadian Centre of Christian, Canadian, ah, the four C's. What is it? Anyway, there's an organization in Canada you might be aware of that helps uh, Christian charities understand legal ramifications of things that are going on and help with, with account financial accountability. And they put out an email just the other day with great concern about this Bill C, uh, C-16. It became Bill C-7, right? The conversion therapy law. Pastors in this country are afraid because of the concern that the Bible's going to become hate speech. It will be deemed hate speech by our authorities. They are afraid that faithful Christian charities are going to lose their charitable status, which on one hand we shouldn't be that concerned about because we trust God for our provision, but something's happening in our land where policies are beginning to control the lives not only of people but of believers. And if we don't learn to stand and live faithful lives unto God, we are in big trouble. Our safety and security are in God. And I've been, as I've been saying, which is I didn't make it up, and we'll be looking at it further, I think, next week. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And yet, how much time do we even spend hearing God's word and studying God's word? And so then when we're pulled in other, in other directions, we shouldn't be surprised. These people, and this is, the, this is what gets me, that these people in this story should have known better. Oh, they didn't have Jesus. Are you aware of the state of the church in Canada today? Is anybody paying attention? As Christians are being swallowed up by the culture and about the, the morality of our day, where pastors are scared to speak truth from their pulpits today because of what might happen to them? Do you know what's going on? We are not in good shape. And just by reciting the name of Jesus gets us nowhere. It's trusting in him, believing in him, and being willing to die for his name's sake. This week, in the, on the Jewish calendar is the festival of Purim, which is the festival of Esther. And Esther was faced with a situation where she could make a difference, but she knew that if she tried to do anything, there was a possibility that she would be executed. And she had to come to the, a place in her life where she said, I will, I will do this thing, and if I die, I die. And that's exactly what Jesus said. In fact, if we are not willing to take up our crosses and follow him, what does he say? We cannot be his disciple. And I've been spending time looking at my own self and how I, and I'm asking the Lord, how have I given into fear in all sorts of areas of life? How have I given in to my own insistence on comfort and not into what he's calling me to do? How many promised lands have I not entered because I've been too afraid? 
God have mercy. Verse 5, chapter 14. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. They wouldn't listen. They wouldn't listen. Two years of training. Two years of training at, at, the, at, the, at the feet of God directly, but they wouldn't listen. Verse 11, the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me and how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs I've done among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit, disinherit them and I'll make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. So I'm not going to take time to read the next section, but Moses intercedes for the people and God forgives them as a nation. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but he continues his plan to use Israel to bring his goodness to all the nations, which, which he brings to fullness in Jesus, which he eventually brought to fullness in Jesus. So God forgives Israel as a nation, but the but the people themselves still needed to bear the punishment, which was 38 more years of wandering until all the adults would die out, except for Joshua and Caleb, who trusted the Lord. Now, with all that that happened and all that the Lord said, some people thought, okay, okay, okay. I might be slow, but I'm not stupid. God wants to take us into this land. And uh, so we're going to do that now. And so watch what happens. Verse 39, when Moses told these words to all the people of Israel, the people mourned greatly. And they rose early in the morning and went up to the heights of the hill country saying, here we are, we will go up to the place that the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. That, that, you could put that, those words in a prayer book. But Moses said, why now are you transgressing the command of the Lord when that will not succeed? Do not go up, for the Lord is not among you, lest you be struck down by it before your enemies. For there the Amalekites and the Canaanites are facing you, and you shall fall by the sword, because you've turned back from following the Lord. The Lord will not be with you. But they presumed to go up to the heights of the hill country, although neither the ark of the covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed out of the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and defeated them, pursued them, even to Hormah. So they were told originally to go in the promised land. They said, no, terrible, God must hate us, we should die in the wilderness, etc. God judges them for that. You're going to wander 38 more years. They go, okay, we learned our lesson, we'll go into the land. But God, didn't, God said, you're not supposed to go into the land now. Your children are going to go in 38 years from now, not you. They didn't listen to him when he told them to go into the land and they didn't listen to him when they told them 
he told them not to go in the land. All the while referencing God. All the while making it look like, especially the second time, we are obeying. No, you're not. You're not listening. Are we listening now? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you because you haven't given up on us. We thank you because you want to speak to us. Now, Lord, help us to hear. Help us to hear what you're saying. Help us to hear you with regard to how we're living our lives as individuals. Help us to hear you as as families. Help us to hear you as a congregation. Lord, I also pray that the church of this city would have hearts wide open to receive what you're calling us to do at this time. Show us where we have closed our ears to you. Bring us to repentance and help us to hear you and obey you. May that which your son has accomplished for us by dying for us and rising from the dead, may he be glorified through the faith and obedience of your people, beginning with us. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca. Thank you.